Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, cool friends, let's take a walk down the street where murder meets mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. I'm Marissa. And I'm Grace. And welcome to episode nine, guys. Happy 2022. Oh my God. Happy New Year, snitches. Happy New Year, ghouls. We're almost um, double digits, Marissa. What the hell? I know, and I cannot wait for that day. Throw up two hands, two full hands. Don't have to put yes. the thumb down. It's just a full five-five hand two in hands hand. Old. Ten. Two hands old. Yes, super ma'am. exciting. Thanks for everyone who's stuck around to listen to us. Um, we're excited for 2022 and all of the great things that are going to come in this year for this podcast. Yes, yes, I already am manifesting a far better year. Definitely was not a good year. Yeah, tough. But I'm looking forward to 2022. I have this saying, I'm a big even numbers girl. So it's 2022. I'm going to turn 26. Like it's going to be a good year, you know? Yes. I love it. And I really wanted to note really quick, uh, last episode, episode eight, I believe, there was a slight echo in my audio. I apologize. I was on my boyfriend's Mac because I had lost my laptop. I didn't lose it. I lost it. It's life, if you will. (laughs) It went down like the Atlantic. It literally did. Speaking of the damn Queen Mary and ships, I sunk my laptop. I spilled 32 (laughs) ounces of water on it, my whole water bottle. So it it got water damage, like major. So while I was waiting for my new one to come in, I had to, you know, pull my sources together and use a a different computer. Totally. But I'm back on my own now. So I am ready for Grace's case. So we've got a solved case this week. Oh, that okay. pattern. pattern. Oh my gosh, yes, the consistency. Ma'am. Yes. Thank you. And this is a case that I heard about five years ago. And I still, it's stuck with me this whole time. And okay. I was telling Marissa before we started recording that I'm 90% sure I've told her about this already, but I'm really banking on your goldfish brain girl. So yeah. that, and if I've, you figure it out, don't go blurting it out to the rest of the class. Let them, <laughs> let them go along for the ride. Okay. All right. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> so like I said, I heard about this five years ago. It's totally stuck with me. This case is actually not a murder. I don't have a murder this week. Love it. Okay. But it is certainly a crime. And okay. I want to start the year off right by telling a story of a woman who turned her trauma into power. Yes, ma'am. Love that. Empowered women, empowering women, right? I feel yes. Like- empowered women, empower women and hurt people, hurt people. Right. That's less positive. (laughs) Being playful. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so. Good reminder. Our story starts in Chandler, Arizona, with a 13-year-old girl named Sarah Garone. The year is 1996, the year of my birth, the year of our Lord. Me too. Wait, that's (sighs) funny. I referenced 96 in my mystery this week. Are you serious? Wow. Swear. It's a good year. And Sarah was approaching her freshman year of high school. She was actively involved in her church and had just tried out for cheerleading. So when she received a large manila envelope in the mail hand addressed to her, she excitedly tore it open, expecting good news that maybe her dream of making the squad had come true. Instead, Sarah was met with page after page of black and white and photocopied images every single one of them depicting extremely graphic pornography. The stack was an inch thick. Ew. Yeah. 13. Terrifying. 13. Was it addressed to her, you said? Yes. It was hand addressed. The envelope was like her name and address were written on them. It appeared that the photos had been laid on a new page and then copied, and the package contained no note or return address. Sarah was barely old enough to understand what she was seeing, and she had grown up in a sheltered evangelical household, which led to what Sarah described as a gut reaction of horror. She was trembling and shaking. 
She was completely bewildered, having no idea who would send her such a disturbing package or why. She decided to tell her parents right away and ran into the house to show them. Based on Sarah's account, the immediate reaction from her parents was equal horror and surprise. And they, she says, understandably, peppered her with questions regarding boys at her school. Was there a creepy boy giving her too much attention? Had she recently rejected them in any way? Recently slighted someone? Yada, yada. So it right. feels a little victim blamey to me. Yeah, right? like it, like as if she knew, as if right. oh she had to have known, she had to have caused this. Yeah, right. It's giving Versus me what were you wearing? Being like a major creep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's giving. Did you provoke this? It's giving. Were you asking for it? Right. It's uh, giving. Kind of, did you wear spaghetti straps to school? Yes. It's giving. Uh, were your fingertips beyond the bottom of your skirt? Remember that. <laughs> Oh, I do. I was pulled. I was pulled yep. for that. I do. Me too. Trauma. My mom had to come from work. She was yelling and huffing and puffing. What did you make me miss work for? My innocent daughter? My innocent mm-hmm. daughter? She's not doing anything. Yeah. Ugh. And I was, I, you know, you miss a day of learning so that you don't distract boys who are trained to, what, I can't even talk about it. I'm, just, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting yeah. sidetracked. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> anyway, so her parents are asking her questions about the boys in her school, and Sarah's answer was the same to all of these questions. No, 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 right? Sarah said she was racking her brain, and in her mind, it only made sense that it had to have been someone she knew, and most of the people she knew went to her school and were kids, which made this that much weirder, right? Right. Any time in the days and weeks that followed... If a boy in her class made a romantic advance or some sort of comment to her, she added him to the list she had in her head. She had a list of suspects. Fucking queen. Love her. Okay. Love that. Finally. Me too. Can you imagine like me, you and me, detective hat, 13 years old, um, who the fuck sent me this, right? Yes. I can actually. (laughs) Oh my God. So anyway, finally, her parents decided to file a police report and they took a statement from Sarah, but unfortunately, Sarah says nothing ever happened, and she didn't hear from the police again. And unfortunately, this happens way more often than you know we care to think. Yeah, the, the yeah. fact that these stories just—first of all, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to report them in the first place, and then it just doesn't happen. Can you imagine how embarrassed you would be at thirteen to bring yeah. this? Like, you have to bring this envelope of a bunch of porn to the police and like tell a bunch of white men what happened to you. Like that's terrifying. Right. And again, they are also probably victim blaming in some sort right. of way, I imagine, especially since it was kind of nothing came of it. It was brushed off. They're probably yeah. like, well, either boys being boys or she did something to provoke this. I right. imagine. Exactly. And first of all, I'm like, what? It, it's definitely possible. We talked last year about how last year, <laughs> last episode. It was last year. Oh my God. I was wrong. I, I thought I was wrong, but I was right. You're right. <laughs> no, last last episode we talked about how kids are fucking creepy and say creepy shit all the time, or maybe those yep. two episodes ago. And this right. this it carries over to this one because I'm like, okay, it it could I guess be a kid technically, like 13 year old boys or high school boys or whatever. Like they are doing some weird shit, but this was pre internet being available to most of the public right like they're not yeah that's a good point they can't just download the picture and then right yeah yeah. this is like the era of porn magazines right that's where these pictures are coming from probably yeah or a sex shop or whatever a few weeks passed then a few months every time sarah checked the mail she was terrified of what she might have received what might have come for her in the mailbox but nothing ever did until a year later when she received another package A year later, the package came in the form of an envelope, a standard business envelope, this time with a printed label containing her name and address. The envelope contained two or three, she doesn't really remember, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, each containing full page, full color images, again, extremely graphic, and all of them pornographic. The images were not the only contents of the envelope, however, this time there was a note. The note was handwritten, addressing Sarah by name, and scrawled in red ink that she describes as resembling paint or even lipstick. Quote, dear Sarah, I love you, I want you, I need you, end quote. 
Okay, great. Love that. Terrifying. It's been a year and this person is still thinking about her. Literally. Right. So obviously the reasonable assumption, and this turns out to be the case, it's the same person both times, right? Like you're like, they're they're way too similar in nature for it to be a coincidence unless she's the least lucky person on the planet. She was crying and shaking like a leaf, horrified to discover that the note was signed with the name of a person Sarah knew. It was the boy (gasps) at school who she had a crush on. (gasps) <gasps> now she had a crush on him yeah now i Not can anymore. tell you that although it was signed by this boy sarah immediately did not believe it was him first the similarities between the first and second packages were obviously glaring so she was able to eliminate the boy from her list of suspects because he was a foreign exchange student who had not only been living out of the country when the first package was sent but had not even met sarah yet okay okay so that makes sense. Yeah. This is this is a cold comfort though. She could not shake the feeling that the sender was someone she knew and knew well because upon reflection, it dawned on her that she had not told a single person about her crush on this boy and had only <gasps> gushed about him in one place, her diary. What the fuck? Right? So assuming someone has read her diary, knew of this and signed it by him to try and yeah. like calm her down or what? I don't know. Yeah. What's the so purpose, she, you know? So I I think it's just to fuck with her. Like whoever this is, it's just sick, right? Yeah. For many reasons, but yeah, the disturbed part of this or what one of the many disturbed parts of this is that they obviously are trying to get in her head. There's intimidation here, um, not just with the porn, but also with, you know, implying that, like, this is someone she knows and likes. Like, that's so fucked up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So she, you know, the only thing that's running through her mind at this point is that either the person made a super lucky guess knowing her well or, and this was the scariest thought, that someone had read her journal. So she immediately thought of creepy boys from her school or male friends who had been to her house for pool parties. Had one of them snuck into her room and read her innermost thoughts? The mysterious sender remained silent for years this time. Sarah had moved across the country to attend college in Chicago. She met a man and even got engaged. The incidents crossed her mind from time to time, but seemed to be a more and more distant memory with each passing year. Five years, to be exact. It was soon after her engagement that Sarah began noticing strange occurrences related to her email. First, Mm -hmm. she couldn't get into her account, so she changed her password, thinking that either she had forgotten it or maybe the system had been updated. Then she began to notice emails from websites she had never visited, let alone subscribe to, all of them sexual Ooh. in nature. First Victoria's Ugh. Secret, then escalating to catalogs and ads from sex shops. The oh, concerns no. about her email only escalated when she began to receive forwarded messages from close friends and family members, all with similar text. Did you mean to send me this? <gasps> Sarah was horrified to discover that people in her life, including her close friends and family, had received forwarded messages from her account, including like copied and pasted intimate emails she had exchanged with her fiance. Wait, and she had actually written those emails? Right. So this is like- And so the person, the person that has access was uh forwarding those intimate emails to family. Oh no. Oh no. That's so embarrassing. Not only that, but a close friend had recently recounted the painful story of a sexual assault, all via email. Sarah realized that the same friend had begun to receive emails from Sarah's address, quoting and referencing specific details of her attack. Oh, fuck. Sarah felt awful, but was unsure of the next step, right? Like, I I think you didn't really have resources to defend against hacking like they had like mcafee and virus software and stuff like that but that was about it you can't go to the i mean yeah and i assume back then you know you don't really go to the police about that kind of right cyber crimes i don't think were as like that process wasn't as streamlined as far as stopping you know cyber attacks and stuff like that um but it was clear at this point that sarah's email had obviously been hacked right Her husband, her fiancé at the time, was a student of computer science. So while Sarah continually changed her password, her husband started tracing the IP addresses attached to each email. They all triangulated around the same area. So they're realizing that the hacker's using various IP addresses to access Sarah's email and sending them the emails from different accounts, I'm assuming, presumably to make it harder to trace. 
Sierra's right. hometown, this is where the emails are being sent from, is her hometown of Chandler, Arizona. At this point, it's 2005, and Sarah has been harassed for over a decade. Whoever this person was could seemingly find her no matter where she lived, and the harassment didn't stop with emails. Frequently, her personal journals, along with pairs of her underwear, began to go missing. At this point- Shut the fuck up. I'm not kidding. At this point, Sarah says, quote, it was hard to tell whether I was simply absent-minded or if someone, the same someone behind all the other unwanted attention- could actually be entering my home, end quote. <sighs> Nightmare, right? I hate that for her. Chills. Ugh. The emails stopped for a while, and in that time, Sarah graduated. She and her fiancé got married and moved back to Arizona okay. in 2005, this time to the city of Tempe, where Sarah got a job working for Arizona State University as a secretary. About okay, nine cool. months later, yeah, she's moving on, right? Because the emails have gone quiet, and... You don't really have a choice, I guess, right? I mean, it's been, what, years at this point? Yeah, and it's just like one-off instances, I guess, of like maybe a month of drama, but then there's nine months of nothing. It's just so intriguing the wait. It's like go, 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 wait, 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 go, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's so much sicker. Yeah, and how do you make it so important to someone official like a cop to try and track this down because it's only one-off instances. It's not like it's happening for months and months at a time. It's just right. like once a year. And it's far, it's seemingly harder. far enough apart that you like people could argue it's a coincidence. It's some sort of crazy coincidence, you know? Right. Right. Um, and with the nature of victim blaming that there, that exists in as far as reporting sexual harassment and assaults, I mean, I can't imagine that the law is on her side here. Right. Um, So she gets a job working for Arizona State. And about nine months later, Sarah comes home after work to find a package on her doorstep with no return address. This time containing a dildo with an attached piece of paper with her husband's name typed in all caps. So no, someone knows her and is involving her husband now. Yeah, I hate that they're tracking her down like address by address. Yeah. And she even said like, Nowadays, it'd be almost comical, but like at the time, obviously terrifying, right? She's just like, I couldn't even believe this was happening. So Sarah reaches for the door to go inside and call her husband, at which point she discovers the door is unlocked. The same door that Sarah says she left locked when she left that morning. She's terrified at this point, particularly that someone is in her house. She calls her husband from the driveway, but he's a half hour away and stuck in a meeting, so he's not able to get there in time. So Sarah calls her stepfather to come check the house because his office was right around the corner. She waited outside until her dad pulls up, at which point she asked him to check in every closet and behind the shower curtains, but her house was empty. The two of them called the police to file another report, and Sarah recounted every incident over the last 10 years, but was not hopeful that anything would come out of it given her previous, like the police's past mishandling. 10 years, you said? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, because this her the first incident was in 1996, like the beginning of 1996, and then this incident with the dildo was 2005. Right. Okay. Terrifying. Also, what is my life? What a weird sentence I just said. Right. <laughs> Gotta <laughs> love it. I really Gotta hope love the it. Is listening to me right now because they'd be like, really, <laughs> uh, flag her. Um. <laughs> no, your ang- your FBI agent is just like, thank goodness, I finally have someone interesting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I would love that for that specific reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's obviously not expecting anything miraculous to happen. She didn't think she'd hear from them ever again. But only a week later, a man called her, a detective. They talked a little bit about what had happened in the years leading up to Sarah receiving the sex toy, at which point the detective revealed to Sarah that they had identified the sender of that package. What he the asked, fuck? How? He asked Sarah, I don't know if they were able to trace the package somehow or if – I'm not really sure. CCTV footage maybe? I'm not really sure. Sure. But okay. somehow they identified the sender of this particular package. And also I totally lied. I know exactly how and I'm going to explain it. <laughs> okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's in your notes. Yeah. Yeah. It totally I get, is. I get it. So they identified the sender of the package. He asked Sarah if she knew a man named Gary Hardy. Sarah was in shock. 
Gary Hardy was a man she knew very well, in fact, considering that he was her fucking stepfather. <gasps> the one that just entered the home? Yes, ma'am. Oh? Yeah. Ew. Chills. Chills everywhere. Nauseated. I can't oh, even. Oh, no. I will never get over this. I listened to this episode now for like the third time and I'm just like, I was still shocked and I knew exactly what was going to happen and I'm still like horrified. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So remember how his office was right around the corner from her house? Well, apparently before, apparently, (laughs) apparently Apparently before (laughs) I was so self-conscious editing this last episode because I said apparently probably 400 times. Well, honestly, we have to because we can't state any of this as fact. We just have to continue to say allegedly and apparently so we don't get sued. Apparently? So apparently, (laughs) the lotto ball. (laughs) (laughs) Never watched television before? Apparently, it was way faster than I thought, apparently. (laughs) We have to do a bonus episode just talking like that. Can Can we make merch with him on it? I think we're, yes. Are we allowed to do that? I don't know. I totally we hire him as our spokesperson. He's yes. like, who the fuck are you guys? And we're like, oh don't God. worry about it. We'll pay you. Dude, I mean, that's depressing because he's probably like a teenager now. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like 10 in that. No, not 10. I'm lying. <laughs> he was like five in that video. And so yeah. he's probably I mean, a I have no, now. I have no good perception of kids' ages, so. I'm I usually right do, you. but I apparently, apparently. <laughs> oh. Apparently forgot. She can't Uh, stop. She can't stop. uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on. So he's her fucking stepfather. Remember how his office was right around the corner? Well. Right. Apparently, (laughs) before (laughs) Gary arrived at work that morning, his secretary was opening mail addressed to the office when she discovered a package containing something that shocked her. A dildo. Embarrassed, she resealed the package and placed it in Gary's office, deciding... Don't ask, don't tell. She's like, I obviously was not meant to see that, right? Can she do that? She can open packages? I guess if you're- That's her job. That's her job. Yeah. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So she, I mean, she opens the package that's addressed to the office, which is her job. That's part of her job, I'm guessing. Okay. She opens this package and he's just a moron and sent it- Yeah, what an idiot. Yeah. I don't really know what he was expecting. Hours later, when Gary received the frantic call from his stepdaughter, Sarah- He told his secretary exactly what had happened, that his stepdaughter had received a dildo in the mail. It was at (gasps) this point that his secretary decided, no way in hell is this a coincidence, and immediately called the police to report it. Oh, good for her. I'm I'm glad, because I would have assumed she would have said something to him. Been like, well, that's weird, because I definitely opened one up in your office this morning. Maybe it was the same (laughs) sender, you know? What a coincidence. What a coincidence. That's so weird. No, she decided, like, no way in hell. Also... Whenever we see in like women's intuition and just human intuition, that gut feeling is important. And I'll talk about that later. Sarah talks about this in an interview with the Today Show about the gut feeling. But like when you, this tells me, and I'm obviously this is speculation, but this tells me that that secretary obviously got a vibe from him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. You, if you really like trusted this man and didn't think of him as creepy at all, like, Right. You probably would not immediately jump to the conclusion, oh, he sent his stepdaughter a dildo, right? Yes. There had to have been previous instances, like mental right. note, you know? You're like, all right, red flag, mental note. Let me yeah. write that one down and then mental. Right. Also, Gary, I mentioned this later. He was a financial planner and a pretty successful one. Like they, the him and um, Sarah's mother were very wealthy and like very successful. Yeah. And- I'm assuming that the, his secretary probably sees and hears crazy shit all the time that she, she's just yeah. like, okay, they have like that level of discretion, even at the higher executive level and business level. I don't obviously don't know what I'm talking about business level. What the fuck? She's using buzzwords. Come on now. <laughs> corporate. Obviously at the, at the upper levels of corporate work, like there's, they may even sign an NDA. You don't fucking know, right? Oh, yeah. You have no clue. Unless you're there, you don't know. He's got to – there's got to right. be a level of discretion there. Um, right. Anyway, so the secretary saves the fucking day, and this breaks the case wide open. The police and Sarah agree that if Gary had been behind this package, he certainly was behind it all. And this extends 
to, again, that gut feeling where, and I'm going to talk more about some incidents from Sarah's childhood that she immediately recalled, but she obviously must have felt a vibe too, right? If she's like, okay, because first you would be like, what? There's a mistake. That has to be a mistake, right? If you trust this person. But she immediately was like, yep, checks out, (laughs) right? Like horrified, but understandable, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. And she even to this day asserts, like, somewhere deep down, I knew it was him. Um, The police and Sarah agreed that if Gary had been behind the first package, he certainly was behind it all. And this was later confirmed by tracing IP addresses from which the emails were sent and Sarah's account was hacked, which all belonged to him. Sarah was obviously disgusted. This was the same stepfather who comforted her all those years ago, who came to the rescue when she came to him for help or called him crying and scared who encouraged her to file not one, but two police reports, and it had been him all along. Sarah's mind was flooded with a series of coincidences that at the time had not seemed strange, but now definitely Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Side note, I know that a lot of this is hindsight bias, but I have to say, there is a photo of this fucking asshole on the drive. Dolly, what's hindsight bias for those who may not know, which is totally not me, but like, you know, there's a listener out there that may not know what that means. Yeah. So for you ghoul friends who are less worldly than Marissa, you may not know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain Mm -hmm. it. Hindsight bias is a psychological phenomenon where basically it's where if something happens that you had no idea it was going to happen, you weren't expecting it, you'd be like, oh, I totally knew that was going to happen, right? When you actually did it. Uh, And it's very... And and it kind of makes sense in this context because the photo that I, I'm going to show to you, it's on the drive. It's called Gary oh, POS. Okay. Yep. Piece of shit. Right. For those very, of you who don't know. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> easy to look at this guy, in my opinion, and say, yep, that's a sexual predator. I would – no questions yeah. asked. Yeah. Even the, that, the picture that you have in their family, like he yeah. looks like a perv. But oh, totally. like you said, it's because I know the story. Right. That's hindsight bias. That's what that means. Okay. Yeah. 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 So sometimes you look at someone and you're like, would I know if I saw him on the street? Like I think about that about Ted Bundy and like Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm like, would you know? Right? You get a vibe and like, you know. And this guy 100% crossed the street, bitch. Like I'm not – I'd be like, nope. (laughs) Nope. No thanks. Cross the street. Put the keys in between my knuckles and be on the phone with someone on speaker. Yeah. I'm like, fuck with me. I dare you. Absolutely. But then I also think, like, what is that going to do other than, like, hurt kind of? Nissan key right at the eyeball. I think the idea is you go for the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Ew. Yeah. So she recalls feeling uncomfortable around Gary, especially early in his marriage to her mom, and that she, for a reason she could not put her finger on, did not feel comfortable being alone with him. And she explained, like, when her mom was out of town on business – or like was late uh, out late at night at a party or something like that, and she was alone with Gary, she would not want to sit out in the living room and watch TV. She would just go to her room and shut the door. And she said there was never any like blatant incident where he like said something creepy or like touched her or anything like that. She asserts that just that was gut. not the case. It was just in her gut. And she's like, there, this guy makes me feel uncomfortable. And yeah. at the same time, he's her stepfather – She's obviously taking her mother's word as gold, as most people do, right? And she's saying, well, right. my mom trusts him. Why wouldn't I, right? And yeah. who? And what are you going to say? Like, I mean, you and I might, but who's really going to say to their mom, like, okay, you married a fucking perv. Get rid of him, you know? Right. And I wonder, Did I mean, I guess we'll figure this out if the wife had any clue, the mom, if she had any clue or kind of hints that he may have been. I think she had a she had a feeling too, and I'll get to that, yeah. Um, so Sarah recalls one time when she was in high school that a small square section of the blinds in her room had gone missing and her mother, apparently they, apparently her mother assumed and assured her that this was probably just broken in construction. Right. Okay. In the weeks that followed, Sarah remembers a few separate incidents in which Gary left the house to take out the trash or go into the backyard she would hear his footsteps descending the back steps adjacent to her room and then hear them stop. Okay. And she swears, though she could not see him or prove this, that he was watching her because she's like, okay, ew, he didn't ew, go inside. Ew. I don't hear him inside. And ew. I didn't hear the door open. He's just fucking standing outside of her window. 
And she could never see him. So he's like either behind a tree or some shit. Like, I don't know. But like, she swears to God now that she's like, okay, that was him that whole time. Right. Right. Sarah and the police decided that she should not reveal to her stepfather that she knows. Right. They didn't want him to know that she knew. So instead, they called her mom and Gary together to tell them there had been a break in the case. Within, Sarah says, like, a few hours, her mom called her and said, I have to know, was it Gary? Shut the fuck up. So her mom knew. Like, she was like, right away, like, no, something's wrong. Right. Okay, great, great. Because can you imagine that phone call? Like, how could you remain your, like, maintain composure, you know? Right. So she couldn't say it was or it wasn't. Right. Right. Which makes sense. They didn't want to compromise the investigation. And I have to make it clear, too, like, um, Gary and Sarah's mother owned multiple homes, I think two or maybe three. So they were at another their Rich. other home across the country. Yeah, casual flex, but okay. Um, yeah. They were at another home across the country. So she didn't oh. want to alert them and then Gary like fucking flee the country or whatever. Like she yeah. – they had to get her parents to Arizona before they the police could like apprehend him. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So – They decide to tell her parents together. Her mom immediately catches on. Sarah tells her the truth, and her mother, fucking queen, pretends she doesn't know so as to not arouse suspicion in Gary. Her mother recalls tearfully that sharing a house, talking to, sleeping in the same bed as the man who had been sexually harassing her child was the hardest thing she had ever had to do. And this was, like, for a number of days leading up to their departure from um, wherever they were. The country, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A day before they were meant to leave for Arizona, Gary cornered Sarah's mother in the basement and asked, do you know what I think you know? (gasps) Shut the fuck up. In the basement? In the basement. She confessed that she did. I don't know why. And Gary spilled the beans, confessing not only to the ongoing harassment of Sarah, but also that he had been regularly unfaithful to her during their 13-year marriage, visiting prostitutes, he claims, daily. Great. What the fuck? Daily? This girl, I ask that you leave that basement, run to your nearest police station, and also call from the police station to make a gynecologist appointment. Literally. Literally. Get tested. Even if you're not (sighs) confronted by your uh, unfaithful husband of 13 years. Yes. Get tested regularly. Even if you're in a loving, committed relationship, get tested. Yes. Somehow, Sarah's mother convinced this piece of shit to write and sign his own confession. (gasps) Shut the fuck up. Thank God for her. I have no idea how she did that. And Sarah even is like, I have no idea. (laughs) Maybe he felt regret. I guess so. She somehow like talked him into it. I don't know. Um, She and Gary arrived in Arizona a day later and he turned himself into police. Gary Hardy was charged with breaking and entering, harassment, possession of child pornography, along with, and this came out after he was arrested, along with embezzlement to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars from his financial planning business and his clients. So this was like unrelated, but he, this guy found it out along the way. Yeah, exactly. In an article she wrote for the Washington Post, Sarah writes, quote, After his arrest, but before his trial, perhaps under the assumption that he had nothing to lose, he pounded on my front door at 3 a.m., sobbing that it was all my fault. He went to my mom's house and carried out a lame, those are her words, lame but very bloody suicide attempt in her bathroom, but was unsuccessful. Lame. I'm howling. Lame. no. That's fucked, but also kind of funny. Shade. Eventually. After nearly two years of court proceedings, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison, end quote. Just 20? Literally. Doesn't that seem I mean, low? It was like 20 years of harassment. Yes. He should at least double or triple yes. that. No? Yes. And crimes against a child. How about that? Right? right. And possession right. against child or possession of child pornography, like alone. Right. right? Like, look at fucking Josh Duggar. Oh, yeah. Piece of shit. That, that, that is not crazy, but it Ugh, what, what is it? Asshole. My my expectations for 2020 and 2021 were um <laughs> not disappointed, just sho- or shocked but not disappointed. Or yeah. something like that. I was like that's just the summer <laughs> no, it of was, the year, which it is disappointed. Exactly Josh Duggar. It was disappointed but not shocked. 
Yeah. Disappointed, but mm-hmm. not surprised. It's like, mm-hmm. nah, not surprised, but that does suck. I saw the same Similarly thing. Similarly, how I reacted to Josh Duggar's news. Yeah, totally. Um, in September 2019, Sarah Garone told the Today Show, quote, Gary himself was very good at deflecting and turning things on their head. And she's implying, like, gaslighting her. And yeah. she said at a few points there were actually times that she suspected him because of that Shut gut feeling. Up. And he was able to, you know, manipulate her into thinking, like, even when confronted with evidence, he would turn it into, well, obviously someone wants to make you think this was me. I would never do this to you. I love you. End quote. <gasps> I truly believe he is a very cunning sociopath. Yeah. That's what she said. Great. That's what she said. Not that's what she said, but that's what Sarah said. <laughs> no, that's a little direct quote. Direct quote. Yeah. Sarah and her husband turned to their friends, family, and faith. I mentioned earlier she was raised by an evangelical household, and so her whole family, including Gary Gross, was actively involved in the church. Um, Josh Duggar, anybody. Vibes? Yes. So she ultimately turned to her her faith in the wake of Gary's prolonged perpetration of abuse, namely to her the group, the Bible group that her and her husband were members of. Okay. Um, she said that unfortunately she was met uh, with, for, like from the friends in her group, she was met with messages that basically told her she should forgive him and move on, right? The Lord would Love want it. you to yeah. forgive him, et cetera. And I Great. was actually pretty surprised and I'm not a person of faith. So I have to admit that, to give that disclaimer that I will never fucking understand it. I'm trying to. Yeah. But she, you know, it doesn't appear that her faith has been shaken. And she's very open about, like, she still turns to God in times of crisis and, like, when she's feeling really isolated with her trauma and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like it's probably different. She probably does turn to her faith, but maybe not the churchgoers that told her to forgive and forget, if that makes sense. Like, right. Right. I'm sure she chooses to turn to believe in God, but not those patrons of her church. I don't know. Yeah. Did she I, uh, mention any, like, disbelief that they were saying that to her, upset, like, that she was upset or what? Absolutely. Like, she basically yeah. writes, she writes, first of all, that she was at age 22 at the time. She's still super young, right? She could yeah. hardly blame them. Quote, who wouldn't rather party than step into someone else's depressing and overtly sexual family issues? end quote right and um she she has a sense of humor about it which i think is really yeah awesome for her because she said something mechanism yeah she's like i mean like saying my stepfather sent me a dildo in the mail is not exactly dinner party conversation right right (laughs) i was not queen you're right you're not wrong um So it was at this point and for the next 14 years that Sarah resolved to stay quiet about her experience, feeling more alone and isolated in her trauma than ever, certain that nobody had a situation similar to hers. She's like, there's no way this has happened to anyone else. Early in 2019, however, in the wake of the Me Too movement, this all changed and Sarah decided to go public. She thought for sure that her story would resonate with others who'd been victimized by family members, specifically family members they trusted. She is obsessed with true crime. She loves crime (gasps) stories. And so she reached out to the producers of one of her favorite podcasts, Criminal, hosted by Phoebe Judge. Yes. Okay. Weeks later, Phoebe Judge, love her, on April 12th, Sarah Garone's story was released as episode 112, The Mail. Sarah says that to her surprise, sharing her experience on a large scale has been empowering and healing and that friends and strangers have offered support she never thought she'd receive. Through telling her story, Sarah says, quote, has made me feel I finally have a voice to speak from a place of power, not victimhood. I feel I've become the protagonist in my own story while the bad guy languishes in prison, end quote. Happy fucking New Year. Am I right? Absolutely. It has to be cathartic in in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Shout out Phoebe. I think the coolest thing about this story and why I love it so much is Obviously, the story's fucking sickening, and that's not the part that I enjoy. But the part that I enjoy is how empowering the story is and what Sarah's turned it into. And I, yeah. in particular, and I'm not going to get political or religious to a certain extent, but yeah, <laughs> I, I have to say this about Sarah, and I have to acknowledge this, that she was raised in an evangelical household. And mm-hmm. typically, evangelical families err on the conservative side of things. 
Oh, yeah. She, there's also so much uh, sex crime and harassment and victim blaming and child abuse and all this sort of stuff that happens in any faith and church yeah. and religious places of worship, whatever. That happens everywhere. But in right. particular, the evangelical community and like purity culture leads to many women and children and men staying fucking silent about their trauma and abuse because they're turned yeah. like they're members of the church turn against them or a lot say i mean i'm pretty sure that's why whatever. all of the duggars like yeah were silent for so long Absolutely. I mean, especially since their family was in the limelight but also because they were in the limelight for being this public figure of faith in a way absolutely um, yeah similarly there yeah it's a prime example so judgment aside about you know faith and religious beliefs and all of that believe what you want to believe what I don't care for and what I don't endorse is the the toxicity and the bullying and the shaming that comes from purity culture and that mm -hmm. people spend years dismantling, right? That sexual trauma, yes. whether yes. it's just shaming or people who are recovering from that culture is, you know, we still see the effects of that. So I think this story is so important that Sarah was able to overcome that and get to a place yeah. where she felt empowered and joined this movement of women who were liberating themselves through sharing their stories and, and men. And I think that's so, yeah. you know, that's so valuable. So I want to end with a message to all of our ghoul friends. If you believe you yes. have been or are being stalked or someone you know is a victim of stalking, we encourage you to read more at victimsofcrime.org. That's victimsofcrime.org to read about the Stalking Resource Center and its mission. Furthermore, if you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, please call the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673. That's 1-800-656-4673. Thank you. Damn, Grace. Uh, that case was good. Uh, your yes, ending was great. Thank you for providing those resources to our ghoul friends. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully someone is hearing this and able to take advantage of those. Yes. So, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was a very unintentionally very long story. I'm sorry. We're already like <laughs> 15 good. minutes in. It oh was so good. Oh, uh, very interesting. But it's it is. your turn, girl. Marissa's Thanks. mystery. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, I mean, great Grace's case. Time for Marissa's mystery. This one's a little um, it's spooky. I'm glad I'm not doing this at night for yes. sure. These guys are specifically one of the things that got me interested in the paranormal and kind mm. of mystery side of things versus just solely true crime. And that is black eyed kids. Have you heard Oof. of them? No. Black eyed kids, also known as black eyed children, BEKs. I'll be covering this today. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you would have seen a, a text conversation between my mother and I. I posted it like a few days ago on the story, Grace. Yeah. And compared Sweet Strega to a black-eyed kid, <laughs> which – okay, first off, for any ghoul friends that don't know, I have a puppy. Um, well, she's six months now, but we got her last year, and her name is Strega, which means – which in Italian, we wanted to, you know, name her something fun and – and different. So her yeah. name is Strega. But basically, she tends to, she's photogenic, but in a like serious model face way. So she tends to just stare blankly into the camera <laughs> with what look like completely black pupils. But yeah. she actually has a really pretty deep amber eye if you look closely enough. Aww. But anyway, if anyone, is, if any of you are her. lucky enough to get close to Strega, she's a beautiful doggy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Oh my gosh. Um, so anyways, basically what these things are, are kids with eyes that are black. So that's great. Just nightmare fuel. <laughs> anyways. Like completely black, right? Like, like eye mm -hmm. socket, everything is totally black. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just like black ovals in Ugh. place of their eyes. But yeah. the media has covered encounters with black eyed kids that date back to 1980 or so. But in reality, they think that the origin came from this Texas reporter named Brian Bethel, who wrote about his encounter with these kids in Abilene, Texas in 1996, our birth year. Hell yeah. Apparently, he <laughs> ran. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so apparently he maybe ran or wrote into a ghostly related mailing list and reported his encounters with the mm. black eyed kids. And I tried to find that exact report, but the links led me to an error page. So I'm summarizing from a few different articles that I've read comp- claiming his uh, encounter. Okay. On a warm evening in 1996, Bethel was headed into Camelot Communications office on North 1st Street in Abilene, Texas to pay his internet bills. He was writing the check while in his car in the parking lot when two boys between the ages of 9 and 12 knocked at his window. Did you hear that? Haunting. Love it. Okay. I wanted to like give you guys an immersive experience. That Anyways. Was great. Thank you. (laughs) Bethel describes one boy as, quote, somewhat suave, olive-skinned, and curly-headed, end quote, and the other boy, quote, red-headed, pale-skinned, and freckled, end quote. And both boys were in hoodies. Apparently, the first boy said that the two of them were in the shopping center to watch the premiere of Mortal Kombat at the movie theater, but had forgotten their money at their mom's house. So they asked for a ride back to their mom's house to get the money. While the boys were talking, Bethel reclaims that he was overwhelmed with irrational fear. He tried to tell them that the movie had likely already started and they wouldn't make it back in time, but the boys were trying to convince Bethel with assurances like, quote, it wouldn't take long and they were just two little kids and they didn't have a gun or anything, end quote. What? Like, what? Okay, thanks. that makes me even more scared. So. What's that dead body doing there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, things you shouldn't (laughs) say to the normal human being. (laughs) So Bethel subconsciously, unfortunately, went to open his car door, and then he made eye contact with the kids, Mm. realizing their eyes were pitch black. Quote, the sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens or bargain basement vampires on late night television. Soulless orbs, like two great swaths of stateless night, end quote. Which I don't know what that means. Maybe I wrote that down wrong. We all know, you know I, I can't type too well. A, a swath is like a like a patch, like a okay. like a swatch kind of si- Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Which is exactly what these kids, you know, Ugh. look like. Bethel was desperately trying to look unfazed, trying to act normal, and came up with an excuse as to why he couldn't take them and immediately sped away with his car. Staring in his rearview mirror, he noticed that the children were no longer there and had vanished with a blink of an eye. Ooh. Ooh, The blink of a black eye. The blink of a black eye. Exactly. Kid. So Bethel says that this interaction occurred between 9.30 and 10 p.m. that night, and so In order to like somehow cope with this and see, you know, maybe if he's being crazy or not, he started to uh, send emails about this encounter to a few people that he trusted. So I'm assuming that's where that email uh, like mailing list came into play. Maybe he had that. He decided to kind of vent there. Basically, the story got out and eventually spread all over the Internet in the early 2000s with people coming forward about their own experiences with black eyed kids. So. All of the stories that were reported from the late 90s to modern day follow a similar pattern. Basically, these children are between the ages of 6 and 16 with pale skin, black eyes, and often wearing hoodies and are seen trying to get help from adults. Their goal is to get inside of wherever that adult is, whether it be their car or home or apartment. Mm. And usually the adult subconsciously feels the need to help them, but then is overwhelmed with a sense of fear and dread. Which I can't imagine the feeling, you know, because as adults, especially as women, you're you've got that instinct to want to be able to go and help a child in need, you know, that's why that ruse of like the baby crying on your porch, that that works because women are like, oh, fuck, there's a baby that's abandoned or whatever. And they leave their house. Don't ever fucking do that. Call the police. Yes, we actually saw um, – I, I used to live in an apartment complex on the third floor, and I saw a kid in the front of the apartment complex crying. He looked to be like nine yeah. years old. And yeah. so I texted my friend who lived in the complex across the street to see mm-hmm. if she saw him because her window faced the street as well. And she did. And we were both like, what? Like, what do we do? Like, we don't want to go out there because we had heard of that kind of – thing before so we we ended up just calling the front office and seeing if they could go out there and help and i think they did i think the dad was eventually came back in a car or something probably left him there to teach him a lesson you know like (laughs) my parents walk home you know (laughs) my mom would be like get out get out 
Yeah, yeah. It's the classic, like, parent trying to teach their kid a lesson. Like, well, why don't you walk home? But then they show up, like, 10 seconds later, like, get in the fucking car. We're going. My grandpa tells this story about when they were sitting in the back of their station wagon as a kid. And, like, the seat – it was, like, a bucket seat, right? So, like, yeah. They, oh, yeah. they all were sitting across. No seatbelts, obviously. Right. And he and his brother were fighting over a comic book. And they were, like okay. – and my great grandma was like, I swear to God, you guys like, don't make me come back there. You're fighting over the book, whatever. Right. And she's like, stop it. And then they weren't stopping. So she grabs the comic book and throws it out the window onto the highway. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Fuck you, no, no regards for anywhere else. Anyone Literally else. No, no regards. Yeah. Great. And love yeah, it. The, I love that. <laughs> yeah, not caring if it like hits the windshield behind them. Like, ah, they oh like, my gosh. Smurf. Yeah. Causes a 10 car pileup. <laughs> Hey, you gotta do what fuck. you gotta do. Wouldn't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Queen. Okay. So there are many encounters, um, but I'm just going to cover this one that sends chills down my spine every time I read it. Ooh, okay. And it's it's really detailed. It's great, but it was super, super long. So I did cut out some, you know, minute details. Yeah. This one is titled, I let black eyed children into my home and now I'm slowly dying. Oh, no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so real quick disclaimer. This is a direct story, so I will quote and say it as if I'm the person. I guess that's called what? Third story? Or third person? First person. (laughs) First person? Fuck. Okay. Well, the story is Um, told in first person, but you are not the narrator. You're just retelling the story. Exactly. Thank you for explaining that. Yes, ma'am. No worries. Appreciate (laughs) it. Okay. Here we go. I live just outside of a rural town in Vermont. It is a tight-knit community where everyone knows one another and people don't lock their doors at night. There's never been any need to. And pause. There is always a need to lock your door. You should always lock it no matter what, no matter how safe you feel, how safe of a neighborhood you live in, you should lock your door. Lock your car doors, lock your bedroom doors, lock your house doors, lock the bathroom door. If you're on a Tinder date and suddenly have to poop, lock the bathroom door. Do it. Absolutely. Lock your bathroom door no matter what. Oh my gosh. Don't I don't want anyone walking in there. Okay. Back to the story. She goes, I woke up because I heard a loud banging on my front door. At the time, my husband and I lived in a small home on a dirt road. It was the middle of a snowstorm, so I thought that someone might have been in an accident and broken down. When I looked out the window, I could see that our motion spotlight was on, and I could see that there were footprints in the snow that had come from our road in, into our driveway, but there was no car anywhere. Ew. I could see that someone was standing there, but I wasn't sure what to think, so I woke my husband up just to feel a bit safer. Which is smart. I mean, I would definitely <laughs> wake up whoever I was with, yeah, and I would probably make them go answer the door. Which is exactly what she did. I'll get to it. (laughs) Okay. While I was telling him what was going on, the banging on the door started again, and my husband went to answer it while I stood in the hallway. When he opened the door, there were two children standing in the snow looking towards the ground. They were a boy and a girl, not more than eight years old. They were dressed strangely and had odd haircuts. The girl's hair was very long and straight, and the boys had a dated haircut that looked almost like a bowl cut, which like... Don't judge, you know? Some people yeah. are still getting bowl cuts nowadays, and that's what year, totally okay. What year was this? Oh, gosh. I want to say early 2000s. Oh, okay. So bowl cuts are out. I actually, yeah. early 2000s, maybe not. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I had a bowl cut for a while, not in the early <laughs> 2000s, but we were just watching home movies the other night, and I was like, Mom, how did you allow that to yeah. happen? Yeah. Well, and I think Pen15 was what dated – I don't know if it was the 2000s or the 90s, but um, maybe even the 80s. But uh, yeah. Pen15 is a show on Hulu, and uh, the main character has a bowl cut. I love uh, her. She sure does. Okay. Love it. So she says that they weren't dressed for winter, and my first thought was that they must have been Mennonite children, but there were not any Mennonite communities near us. For you ghoul friends who don't know what Mennonite is, it's basically like like the Amish. It's not yeah. the same, but it's similar to where they're of a community with uh, no power, no electricity, no modern right. technology. Um, right. So they might not have the means to have something as warm for winter or you know haircuts that are necessarily – fashionable i don't know 
Okay. Thinking back on it, I know that my normal reaction to seeing children in a snowstorm would have been to rush them inside and bundle them up with some blankets and hot cocoa, but that is not how I felt. These children were very unnerving. They would not make eye contact with us, and when my husband asked them if everything was okay, they just asked if they could come in. My husband looked at me like, what do I do? And I asked where the kids' parents were. Quote, they'll be here soon, is all they said. End quote. Ew. If they'll be here soon, then why are they waiting inside? You know what I mean? Like, why do they Right. Give me some more context, you know? (laughs) You. You're going to be like, I'm going to need some more information. Let me see some ideas. Yeah, give me your detail. What's your blood type exactly? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Oh, God. I I think the not making eye contact is real. It's the the eye contact for me, not into Yeah, that's the unnerving part. And there's, you know, an excuse you could say, like, kids are nervous. It's late at night, whatever, whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, yada, yada, booty, dada. In the grand scheme of things, that's not okay. Okay, so the reveal of the black eyes is always, like, a slow burn. Like, they, like, do a, like, dramatic. It's never instant. Yeah, exactly. They try try and avoid it because, obviously, that's what makes people afraid. And their objective is to get it. It's like the elevator game. It's like that fucking the lady yes. from the elevator game trying yes, to get you to look Yes, from the Cecil Hotel. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So it was around 2 o'clock in the morning at this point, and the only reasonable thought in my head was that there must have been an accident or these kids got lost. As much as my instincts told me not to, I brought them inside anyways. I went into the kitchen to make them some hot cocoa while my husband took them into the living room. While I was fixing the kettle, I could hear my husband talking to the kids. He was asking them if they were okay, where they came from, and how far they walked, if their parents' car was broken down, things like that. But they answered, quote, our parents will be here soon, end quote. They spoke in a sing-songy voice. They weren't (gasps) afraid to be in a stranger's home at all, but that's the only answer they gave to any of our questions. I started to notice that our cats were all hiding except one who was in the kitchen with me. Normally, our cats are very curious and friendly, and we have to be careful that they don't run out the door when we leave. This time, none of them even tried to see who was there. Mm. When I walked back into the living room, the kids were sitting on the couch, as still as can be, and my husband was holding his head in his hands. I asked him what's wrong, and he said that he felt very dizzy all of a sudden. I turned back to the children to give them their cocoa, but when they looked at me, I gasped. It took everything inside of me not to drop the mugs and run away. When they looked at me, their eyes were completely black. They had no whites, just b- giant black pupils. Ooh, and there is a picture on the drive, Grace, if you want to look at that. That's like a rendition of like what they look like. Pull it up, girl. It's freaky. Oh, it's exactly God. what you think, you know, a little kid with yeah. no eye white, just black. Look at that bowl cut. Ooh. Exactly. Which is common, wow. like, I guess. That is so. frightening. Right. <sighs> Okay. Okay. So she says, when they saw that I was scared, they stood up and asked if they could use the restroom. I tried to be as composed as I could be and show them down the hall. They went into the bathroom together and I hurried back to my husband to ask him if they had seen their eyes. He had seen them too. Mm. We were in the middle of talking about whose children they could be when my husband's nose started to bleed. He had (gasps) never had a nosebleed as long as I had known him. I just knew inside myself that this had something to do with the kids in the bathroom, and I started crying while I ran to get my husband some tissues. That's when the power went out. I heard my husband yell my name from the living room. As I started to walk back through the hallway, I stopped dead in my tracks. The two children were standing there at the end of the hallway. They weren't moving, and I have never been so scared in my whole life. They just stood there in the dark. After what felt like forever, the boy said, Our parents are here. And they walked to the door, opened it, and walked out, leaving it wide open. Oh my my God, husband jumped. Ooh, ooh, I'm getting, like, my hands are sweating, Grace. Me my too. hands are sweating. And I've read this story like six times. I've told this to multiple people. I'm like, oh, <sighs> quote, this I is think, what's going I on. I think you've told me this, and that's why I'm like, this sounds familiar. I feel like I've read this somewhere. It's probably from you. Okay. Ugh. Oh, I'm sure. My mom loves it too. Shout out oh, to my mom. God. Hey, mom. Yeah. Okay. My husband jumped up to go close it and almost fell over. We looked out the window and saw two men standing by a black car idling at the end of our driveway. These men looked like they were wearing black colored suits and were very tall, at least six feet. When my husband waved at them, they just stared at us, got into their car, and drove off. Over the next few months- (laughs) When we saw the the men, we said, are you single? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, not another. <laughs> Grace and her cryptids that she loves. Come on, Mothman. You've got competition now. <laughs> you guys. The men in black. <laughs> uh, you guys, it, apparently, apparently, <laughs> my only standard is that you're over six feet. That's it. That's, that's it. That's, well, maybe so. that's what's wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Next one, you got to shoot for the stars. Literally, Mothman, hit me up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. Over the next few months, three of our four cats went missing. After my husband's nosebleeds became regular, we went to see a doctor. He didn't know what to make of it other than maybe dry nasal passages, but my husband was diagnosed with an aggressive skin cancer. When the doctor asked us if he used tanning beds, we both thought he was joking, but apparently this kind of melanoma is linked to overuse of indoor tanning. The doctors think that he will recover, but don't understand how he got it so bad so quickly. Yeah. My husband – and so my mind goes to – for I meant to say this too, and then we got into like the cryptid love story. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And like obviously those men I think were supposed to depict men in black, uh, like yeah. the people that come when aliens are near. That's what I was thinking, So yeah. some people theorize that black-eyed children are aliens and what this guy is experiencing with his cancer is like an overexposure to some sort of um, – not toxin. What is it? Radiation. Radiation. Yeah. There you yeah. go. And then Ugh. linking that to the cancer. But yeah. that's, again, this is all theories. So who knows? Oh, hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Okay. The doctors Sorry. think he will recover, but don't understand how he got it so bad so quickly. My husband spends relatively little time in the sun and has never worked an outdoor job. Since we let the black-eyed kids into our home, I have also suffered from regular dizzy spells and nosebleeds on a regular basis. I've had other issues, which I won't mention here, but trust me when I say that I am suddenly in the worst condition of my life and no one can do anything about it. We've told everyone we could about the strange kids that showed up that night, but no one else saw them and some laugh at how we were scared of the Mennonite kids. But we know what we saw and I wish my husband had never opened the door. And then she states, feel free to publish this as a warning to others about the black-eyed kids. My advice would be to lock your doors, call the police, and wait for morning. Don't make the same mistakes that I did. Oh my god. So that's like one of the most famous cases and a case that links – one of the only cases that someone opens up their door to them and the after effects of that, which is these crazy – physical conditions she also stated she was in the worst physical condition of her life since that experience i mean same but i never saw a black (laughs) 2020 bitch (laughs) i so okay i are the black eyes like because they're not unique to black eyed kids right like i i every horror movie ever has like some sort of apparition that has the black eyes is it like a sign of something I don't know. I I guess you could connect them. Like if you think about like the green green people, uh, aliens, for example, yeah. they have those wide black eyes. Yeah. So maybe in relation to some sort of alien or mm-hmm. extra paranormal, extra uh, extraordinary type being or creature. Interesting. But yeah. I'm not too sure. I would – my best guess is that they are aliens of some sort and yeah. either trying to just collect information on people or maybe got lost and so then trying to form themselves into something that looks of, like, innocence, uh, like yeah. like a child. Yeah, exactly. So they can get help and get information. Um, but it's just interesting. There's multiple more accounts and multiple more people um, with similar experiences and yeah. some that are even living in apartments and they show up on the third floor apartment balcony and you're like, how did you get here? You know, yeah. like that's when it starts to get alarming when they're not just showing Ew. up to a front door or car when they're scaling buildings. So what the fuck? Yeah. Like a fucking spider? Ew. Yes, exactly. All in all, more of the story here is do not answer the door for anyone, especially children that you can't see the eyes of. Get a ring yeah. doorbell and communicate through that. Try and yeah. figure out what what that person or creature is doing there and what they want from you. That was Marissa's mystery. Yeah. What I'm curious about is if there's another level to it. And what I mean is like if you – like like the elevator game where – and this is a common thing with like – interactions Mm -hmm. with the paranormal is if they trust you or if you're like you're allowed into a second level right right and so I wonder if it's like that where the reason we're not hearing stories where they're 
feeling like after effects or whatever is because they reached that other level and maybe they died or they were possessed or they turned into black eyed kids. Like we don't know. That is such an interesting theory and like connection, Grace. I love that. And honestly, the only way to figure that out is to summon them. And so I'm going to go live this Friday and summon a black eyed kid and document all of it. Is there a way? I wish I I could do that. I don't think there is a way, and I don't want to manifest that. So, um, and speaking of, tomorrow is a new moon, so it's a good time for manifestations. I am not manifesting that. I manifest never seeing a black eyed kid in my life. Okay. Thank you. Well, Marissa, that was so interesting. And thank you for sharing that. That's and terrifying. I, it is. It's one of the gateway, uh, not cases, but I guess mysteries into uh, my fascination with the paranormal yeah. and everything spooky Ooh. out there, everything that lies beyond the beyond, as we say in our intro. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my God. Fucking crazy. Cool friends. Thank you for listening to episode nine. Yes. We're feeling we'll fine. <laughs> episode nine, feeling fine. Gonna go drink some good wine. Ooh, I don't know. It's don't know. almost just time. We're obsessed with crime. That's all we have now. For you today. <laughs> we should never go into the songwriting business. Just We have good band names, but we cannot be songwriters. Okay? No. Nope. Well, we love you guys. And please, please, please follow us on Instagram at where murder meets mystery and email us at where murder meets mystery at gmail.com for any, I don't know, personal accounts, any compliments, no insults, and any suggestions you may have for future cases and mysteries. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.